If you are a devoted listener to Unfound, please consider supporting this podcast at Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube. Brandon Lee Barron was a 34-year-old from Fayetteville, Arkansas. He loved to sing and cook. On June 23, 2020, Brandon's parents saw him walking on the road near their house. They expected to see him at their place in a few minutes. Brandon never arrived. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. In the system I've created of classifying disappearances, we might call the one featured today a walk-off, although ultimately you, the listeners, get to make that decision. However, there is a special kind of walk-off type where witnesses who are believable and honest and have no reason to lie state that a person left, these witnesses believed the person was going to come back, but never did. This is in contrast to when people walk off and nobody is sure about their intentions. What are some of the kind that we've covered on Unfound already? Paris Hobson went for a walk from her family's house saying she'd be right back but never returned. Jesse Ross, same as Paris, but he left a convention room in a hotel in Chicago and never came back. And early in Unfound's existence, Dominique Holly Grisham, who left his house while on the phone with someone and never returned, although everyone believed he would be back in a few minutes. What goes on with this type? Were the missing people lying? Did they get lured? What could happen in just a few minutes? Well, with the disappearance of Brandon Barron, although his circumstances are a bit different, the two trustworthy witnesses, his parents, certainly believed Brandon would be at their house very soon. But that didn't happen. And his parents are still waiting. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyness's website, charlieproject.org. Brandon Barron was raised in a great family. He had a sister who had been adopted and a brother. Brandon wasn't much into sports, but he loved to read. And his personality really came out while cooking and singing, although not necessarily at the same time. However, for a large part of his life, Brandon hid a secret. He heard voices in his head. He never sought treatment, And even during an extended hospital stay, the staff never noticed Brandon's condition. Unfortunately, Brandon ended up dabbling in drugs and became homeless. And near the time of his disappearance, Brandon became paranoid, believing that the government, movie stars, and even his own father were out to get him. So, on June 23, 2020... Brandon's father had taken Brandon's mother to a medical appointment, yet he came home forgetting his phone. While there, 
his father noticed a wagon in the front yard. Looking through it, the father discovered it was Brandon's. He immediately called the police due to threats Brandon had made against him online. Brandon's father then went to pick up his wife. As they were returning home, within a mile of their house, they passed Brandon walking on the road without that wagon. They didn't stop, once again due to the threats. However, they parked in a spot down the road where they could see Brandon coming, believing he intended to go to their house. Yet Brandon never appeared. He was never seen again. Moreover, once the Barons arrived at their house, the wagon was gone and is still missing along with Brandon. Please prepare yourselves for an interview where you will hear how a family became terrified of one of their own due to a member's descent into paranoia and addiction. And I ask you to consider how much one illness had to do with the other while you also try to answer these three questions during the interview. Number one, is the reason Brandon didn't arrive at the house because he noticed his parents passed him on the road that day. Number two, what are the odds that Brandon pulled the wagon up to his parents' house that day just when they happened to not be there? And number three, how can we explain that despite some searches and everyone in the area being aware of Brandon's disappearance, that the wagon has never been located? Brandon's family does not lean toward foul play for his disappearance, but they are open to all ideas. The guests for this episode are Brandon's parents, Daryl and Shelley Barron. Unfound news. Mark your calendars right now. Next Thursday, September 14th at 7 p.m., I will be appearing on the Fischler College of Education and School of Criminal Justice YouTube channel for another show with Dr. Telesco. We'll be covering the disappearance and murder of Tyler North. Next, I'll be making my next appearance on a college campus at Florida Southern in Lakeland on September 20th. I'll be doing an updated presentation on the basics of disappearances like I've done at other schools. Finally, Everyone should be looking for a bonus podcast episode where I'll be going through all of the unfound nows in which the disappearances have been resolved. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the parents of Brandon Barron, Shelly, and Daryl. Shelly and Daryl, welcome to Unfound. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, good Good to be on your podcast. Thank you. Yeah, yes, thank you so much for uh, for joining me. And we're uh, everybody should know we're doing this interview on August twenty first of twenty twenty three. And we were just talking about this before we started this interview uh, that uh, Daryl and Shelley had a chance to meet my assistant Emily, and that's how the two of them have now ended up on Unfound. And I was just telling them they're one step ahead of me. I've never met my assistant Emily yet, but they you all met at uh, the Missing Persons Day in Arkansas, right? It's yeah, never it's, gotten, never forgotten is what they call you. Never for okay, and that was back in what July, 
It must have been yes, yes sir. July. I think the eighteenth. Eighteenth of July. July eighteenth. All right, fantastic. Okay, and so that and then Emily told me that she had met the both of you. Of course, I became very interested uh, immediately. All right, let's start here. Uh, let's just talk about your family. Of course, Brandon is one of your children. Uh, do you have any other children? What can you say about the uh, Baron House? What would you, what would you say? You, you want to take that? No, you will. <laughs> well, we uh, you know. Got our family started pretty young. We uh, we uh, um, met and got married in like at 1985, and then you know shortly after started our family. We had a little uh, hiccup or so. There was like two weeks after we got married, Shelly had a massive stroke, and on my birthday, so it was a birthday present for me. So, oh my God. Uh, but anyways, uh, so we they they advised us not to have children, but we didn't listen to them, and uh, we ended up having two sons. And uh, we really wanted a girl, but they really advised uh, us not to have any more children because of her health. Mm. And so uh, the opportunity presented itself for us to adopt a daughter. So we adopted wow. our, our daughter, who's our youngest. And uh, wow. yeah, it's. Uh, and we got five granddaughters. Now we have five granddaughters. All of, all of our all of our children. We're empty nesters now. So all of our children are grown. So. Congratulations on that. Congratulations. Uh, the listeners know, but maybe you two don't know. I am also adopted. Uh, I have my parents, Ed and Loretta Denzel. My mother's deceased now, but um, they adopted me. And then I finally got to meet my biological family when I was in my 20s. So I'm adopted as well. I always love. So I always love hearing a great uh, adoption story. That's fantastic. Uh, how close? Uh, yeah. How close are your uh, three kids? Of course, Brandon in included. How close are they in age? Brandon and my other son, he they're 11 and a half months apart. 11 and a half months, yeah. Wow, and very close. Months. Yes. Yeah. And then our daughter came in the picture when she was two and a half. We adopted her by when she was two and a half. And she's what? 30, 33. She's four years younger. So she's around four years okay. younger than So four. not not a huge spread, kind of close for three kids, yeah. kind of close. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Um, what's uh, family like going back to when all the kids, what are some of the things that you all, all like to do as a family, all five of you? What, what are some of the uh, barren interests? Uh, we're kind of uh, a little bit of a, an artsy family too. You know, we like to do, uh, we, Brandon's always, was always into music. Michael, uh, he was a little bit more into the sports, but Ashton was uh, really into art and, uh, things like that. And, you know, we always uh, enjoyed music and, you know, I, I, I was raised on uh, both kinds of music, country and Western. So, you know, the, the they're uh, uh, kind of got away from that. I've, you know, kind of started listening to some blues and things as I got older and really liked some of the old Delta blues and, and, you know, Brandon, he was, he liked a, a lot of different oh, kinds of music and, you know, uh, loved band and went to college for course. It, it didn't work out well for him. I mean, as far as, being able to stay in school yeah. but uh yeah he he was the, the drum major in high school and uh you know just he, he loved doing that sort of thing he, lo he loved uh, karaoke anything musical so yeah brandon okay. could always make his mama cry by singing and wow it just touched my heart so much i mean what can you say about you know your son singing to you and right and also he loved my both my boys are wonderful cooks. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Neat. Brandon. Yep. Yeah, he both my and my other son still cooks this day. 
but you know he just can make brandon can make anything out of nothing you know and make it delicious and so you know when he came over we he'd fix this meal or you know and fix he loved to fix bread and he just was a good cook is that uh, something genetic or is that just something that kind of picked up somewhere Oh, from Daryl. She's pointing to Daryl. Okay. From yeah, Darryl, I could, I'm a good cook too. Yeah. I'm a country cook, uh -huh. but his dad makes beautiful things. And he bakes, and they're so beautiful. I can't. That's, do why, that. that's why I'm kind of fat. So. <laughs> that, that's funny. <laughs> okay. Um, so, all of you, uh, this all growing up, uh, family all together in the Fayetteville area, all growing up in yeah, Fayetteville actually, area, where? West Fork. West Fork, mm -hmm. Arkansas. Yeah, and, that, and, and that's where you live today. Yeah, um, we're we're not in in West Fork proper, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. But West Fork's a small town, what fourteen hundred people or something oh, like wow, that. Very so, small. Yeah, it's it's a pretty small town, but you know, the, so the the epicenter of the city, if you want to call it that, is very yeah. very small itself. But we live like twelve miles out, but okay. that's still kind of uh, the our address. That's where our mailing address goes through. Our, right. our mail comes through there, so. That's our address. All right. So it's like a one stop light kind of town, like where I grew up in yeah. Lynchburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah, kind of, kind yeah. of like that. I, think that. I think it actually only has one stop light. I think you're yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> it was just a guess. Okay. All right. It, so. so, right there in West Fork, all the kids growing up kind of close in age, got some cooks, uh, got some sports, arts, little, uh, sounds like a very well uh, rounded family to me. But we are unfortunately here because of Brandon's disappearance. So let's talk about him now specifically. We've talked about how he, he was uh, a cook and he liked to sing and stuff, but maybe some things, other things uh, about him going back maybe to his teenage years, uh, you know, kind of back to that time. Anything else maybe about his personality outgoing, maybe more reserved? What, what can you say about that? Just so everybody can get kind of get to know Brandon. He loved to read. Um, he would spend all day, all night in his bedroom huh. reading. Um, it was hard to get him to go outside. So when he got in trouble, we had to take the books away from him. Huh. And, you know, we might let him do his homework, but we always took the books away from him and made him go outside and play. Now, my other son, we've done the opposite. We took the outside away from him and made him read. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we punished our boys, because that's the one way it worked. Uh -huh. So, I mean, yeah. That's kind of funny. funny, but it's still funny to now. But but we literally had to pull his books away, and we'd go in there and he had flashlight under his covers reading. Yeah, so he was, he was a very proficient reader, and you know, read you know way above a college level. I think even in like when he was in middle school, and uh, you know, he he uh, had the highest uh, there when he was in school. I don't know since what's happened since then, but at that time he had the highest. They would award points for reading books or something through the library. They had a, uh, they call it some kind of score, but he had the highest points of any kid in the school. I mean, even when he was, you know, in middle school, I think. So I don't know if that's- What, did, what kind of books was he reading? Nonfiction, fiction, uh, Harry Potter? Uh, usually- Clancy, What was he reading? Usually um, uh, like fantasy, sci-fi okay. things kind of- uh, I, I know there's this uh, one that uh, like uh, I can't think of. Oh, uh, uh, Ryan, Ryan O'Reacher, or, or uh, I don't know. There, 
there's a character or something from a he liked to read the uh, books about the the this character you know and i i don't i don't don't really not sure what kind of okay. what the like a series or something but I, the name escapes me now sorry that's all right that's fine all right so those are kind of the books uh sci-fi uh fantasy probably yeah. not unusual um yeah, yeah. you know too unusual i you know going back to my days mine was like stephen king and the hardy boys going back you know way back <laughs> all right yeah. so um maybe kind of uh like to read it sounds to me like maybe his brother was a little more outgoing with the sports and everything uh brandon a little more reserved maybe we might call that introverted a little bit more um what about uh, anything else you know about um any other interests that he might have had uh well you know? he loved people mm-hmm. he loved people period he really he really liked he loved his friends i mean he 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 valued his friends and his friendships uh you know maybe he didn't have as as many friends as uh, as other people but you know he would always seem like if uh, well he had quite a few but i mean uh but you know he always seemed like he was willing to you know drop things and go help friends if they needed help so okay and he had these are friends from like high school it's in like the same class high school and after he got out of high school too he you know he, he met a lot of people uh, when he was in college and through work, you know, he, he was uh, he liked to work in the restaurant industry. So he uh, worked for a number of years as a server and then eventually, you know, kind of got some kitchen jobs and ended up as kind of a sous chef for a catering company. And, uh, you know, and, and had had various different jobs inside the restaurant business. So, yeah. And he met a lot of people through that. And, awesome and, karaoke. Yeah, he did karaoke and uh, he loved to sing karaoke and uh, even he got to, I guess, to be a regular and got to know some of the DJs and they would let him kind of sit in for them some nights if they couldn't be there. So he was kind of doing it, you know, part time. And uh, he also always kind of wanted to be a bartender, too. And he he would uh, work his bar back when some of the restaurants and stuff uh, and, you know, do some of that kind of stuff. So. He, he liked the. Uh, that would have uh, been into his 20s then? Into his 20s? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 30, 30, 20 and 20s and 30s, yeah. Okay. And we have to remember he was in his 30s when he went missing. So we got, all, you know, a lot of, you know, time in there between, you know, like high school and, you know, and then, and then his 30s, of course. He did say that he he did uh, go to, to some, uh, had some sort of higher education. Did, did he end up graduating? Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he he graduated high school and honors uh, with with honors and everything and he had some opportunities for scholarships and uh never really applied for them or took advantage of them and uh i think a lot of them were through i think the reason he didn't do that was because they were through the university of arkansas here in fayetteville and he really didn't want to go to that school and i think it was probably because he wanted to get out on his own and be his own person and kind of get out away from the shadow of mom and dad, you know, and be where he felt he was free to, you know, do whatever he wanted to do. Um, so, uh, you know, I work at the university of Arkansas. So, um, uh, he had an opportunity to go there and get a 50% discount just right off the bat. And then if he would have scored a few scholarships, 
which he probably could have done. Well, he had some that were awarded to him. Like I said, he never take advantage of them. And, and then I told him, you know, son, if you will, you know, I, I never had an opportunity to set back any, really any money for college, but I said with the discount that I'm able to get for you and, you know, some, any kind of little scholarships. And if you'll chip in a little bit, I'll chip in a little bit, you know, you could probably graduate debt free. And I said, that would really right. help you out down deal. the road. Yeah. And, uh, he he wasn't interested in that. He mm-hmm. he, uh, I, I kept after him to to take advantage of that op- uh, opportunity, and uh, eventually he became annoyed with it. And one day he just said, "Dad, I would rather go to school." He wanted to go to school in Central Arkansas. That's not part of the university system, and um, at a college down there. And he said, "I would rather go to school down there and pay a hundred thousand dollars out of my pocket than to go up here for free." Wow. So, Okay. Wow. If that's what you want to do, you know. Okay. You're you're 18. Yeah. And so how it. did that go? Uh well, I, I drove him down to, to the university down there and let him out. And uh, you know, he got registered, signed up and everything, and got in a dorm the first the first uh semester, I think. And uh you know, we would call him and, you know, talk to him and it, it seemed to be going all right. But there were things going on, I think, uh, behind the scene that we didn't know about. He was, uh, uh, I think he was starting to, I think he probably started dabbling in uh, drugs, marijuana. Mm-hmm. I think it was pretty, pretty much exclusively marijuana okay. and uh, probably alcohol around that time. And, uh so, you know, we, we found out later, like years later, that there was a, a, a couple of public intox charges that he had got while he was down there. And we did, he never let us know that he had them. Okay. And so he was kind of secretive in that way, I guess you would say. And yeah. uh, he wanted to he wanted to be free to do his own thing. And it, I guess he just uh, got too much in on the party scene when he was there and ended up. Uh, yeah, he, he was he was he dropped out but uh he knew that they were going to you know he was gonna if he didn't drop out they were probably going to kick him out because you know he was not not keeping up with his studies you know i mean he would go to the things he liked he would go to the the, the course classes and the music classes and do okay in those but then you know the core curriculums and stuff he he would Mm -hmm. he he would do what he wanted to do you know Shelly, would you say that you were uh, surprised by hearing that he had these public intoxications? Was alcohol something that, you know, uh, was around your house? Or did you two ever catch him doing anything he shouldn't have been doing, you know, underage, like when he was in high school? Uh, you know, kind of shocked regarding that, Shelly. Well, I, was, I wasn't shocked because he was drinking when he left. He never did anything like that around us. Um. Both our dads are alcoholics. They're both, oh. they're both past. So we didn't allow that in our home. Mm-hmm. So we don't, we don't do drugs. We don't, yeah. you know, I spoke for a number of years, but I laid those down and um, that's, we didn't really drink that much. No, we did yeah, but have occasional drink when we went out on a cruise, you know, but we just 
We just do drinking. We didn't. We didn't. It was it wasn't something they grew up with in the house or anything yeah. like that. So you were you know. so really you two when this came out, like you said, years later, you were a little bit surprised that you had these public intoxication, or maybe by that time, maybe some other things had transpired that maybe it wasn't as surprising. You know, what would you say about? Yeah, that? yeah, it, it probably wasn't. But by the time we found out, we knew that you know he was drinking, more. and I, and I think he had he'd even maybe gotten some up here. Because he several. he wasn't down there long before he he had to come back up here because you know he didn't have a way to support himself down there and didn't have a, a big enough network of friends or people to to be able to stay down there. So he came back up here shortly. You know, it was probably within within a year when he didn't stay down there a year. I don't think uh, so. He I came, think he stayed down there a year and he quit school and stayed down there a year. He said, "Excuse me." Stayed after there, after he got out of school. I'm sorry. Hang on. My mind don't want to work with my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, the feeling. Uh, <laughs> That's fine. Club. I'll just, I'll just, just set it up this way. So he, he had the, the, the school in the middle of Arkansas didn't go well. So when he moved back, did he move in back in with you? And this is when he started doing wow. all those jobs, like the bartending and everything, or, or what did he do? No. No, I think uh, I'm not sure where he his first place was when he came back up here. Probably moved in with friends. Uh, you know, I, he would he would uh, quite frequently, you know, seek out some uh, friend or somebody that had a room to rent, you know, or uh, or just, you know, wouldn't even just he would post ads sometimes and say, hey, I'm looking for a room to rent if somebody has a large house and they want to take on a border, you know, and, and he would. Uh, you know, try to save money like that. Or there was a couple of times that he, uh, he, he uh, had an apartment with a, a young lady at one point. And, uh, but you know, that, that lasted, I don't know, maybe a year, year and a half or so. And then ended up moving out and going somewhere else. He, he kind of moved around quite a bit actually. Okay. All right. But Dehal, you, you know, in his twenties being that he wasn't living with you, did you talk to him very often seeing him quite often? We did at first more. Yeah, yeah, he would he would uh, he would contact us quite a bit, and we we would talk to him quite frequently. Actually, he worked at university for a while. Oh, did he? For a couple of years. Yeah, he he worked up there for a little while, and uh, you know, ended up for I don't know whatever reason, ended up leaving that job, and uh, you know, it, it really wasn't something he wanted to do. He just did it because he could make better money doing that than he could, you know, right. working at a lot of these. And he, you know, needed money for rent and things. And, you know, was he living with us when he started that job at the university? I, I don't, I don't, this recall. has been a hundred years ago. So, my yeah, I, 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 I realize we're just trying to get to know Brandon a little bit, just kind of yeah. what, you know, what his life was like there in his 20s on his own. You know, that's why I'm yeah. asking these questions. Maybe oh. we can move on to this. I know you don't want to go too deep in this, but what about any women in his life at the time? Was he, did he have a girlfriend? Did he ever get married? Did he have any kids? He, anything like that? He he had a girlfriend in high school. And uh, not, I mean, he, he really didn't uh, have any girlfriends till later on in high school. And then, you know, like junior, senior year. And then uh, when he did uh, have this young lady, uh, they, they didn't, they didn't date very long. And then after that, after once he got out of school, um, 
he would not, uh, he, he was very quiet about his personal life. So we really okay. don't okay. really have a lot of information about, right. you know, what, who or what he was, you know, doing. Uh, unfortunately, as, as, it, as he got older and more toward the end there, I know he was, you know, hooking up on some of these apps that you use, you know, okay. uh, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I don't know what, 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 what the, like what Tinder, Tinder and some of these other apps like that. Probably. Become, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think he was just doing, you know, short term, not, not anything, not what was looking for anything serious, just looking for hookups, I guess. Okay. That's what they call them nowadays. Yeah, but. I do. Okay, so not really any, and once again, no children. The, the, no children. No children. Okay. okay, so he's kind of uh, on his own in his 20s, um, you know, taking job, kind of bebopping from job to job, even worked at the University of Arkansas, I guess, for a little bit, um, but maybe still having some issues, uh, you know, maybe with the drinking, and you've brought up marijuana that's maybe seemingly got started when he went away to school you know for that uh short amount of time okay so let's move on to this because this of course is uh as the listeners are going to hear is a you know a huge part i think of this disappearance so you know we need to understand it when did you two start uh worrying or wondering about brandon's mental health of course we talked about you know, going away to school and drinking, and I, I never got into that stuff. I was, a, I'll have to admit, I was a goody two shoes, but most college students do that. But, right. uh, but the mental health, when was that something that maybe you, was it face to face or was it over the phone? You started wondering, you know, I don't know if something's going on here. Do you remember that point? Yeah, I will. Go ahead. We started noticing, well, when we were in Chicago for in 2019, middle of September, we were down there for a month in the middle of, I was getting treatment to get better. And um, it was medical. And uh, so in the middle of that, he gets a phone call for Brandon. He was in jail mm. and you take it over now. <laughs> well, I think there had been there had been clues before that that you know sometimes you, you can look back in hindsight and say, right, well, sure. You know, there were things going on that maybe we didn't put together at the time, and you know this kind of seemed uh, odd or peculiar. But uh, you know, uh, but I I did talk to him later, and uh, he did tell me that he had heard voices for years. Oh, is that right? Uh, you know, for going back a long way, and right. uh, you know, and I, I always kind of wondered, well, why didn't he say anything about it? But then someone else told me and brought up a point. And they said, well, you know, a lot of times people who experience that for years and years of their whole life, they don't really see it as abnormal. They think, you know, they don't understand that other people don't do that. You know, so it takes them a while to kind of figure out that it's maybe not something that's that everybody has. So, uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, but, uh, we started noticing it, uh, around about, the, I mean, really became apparent, uh, around about the time we 20 into 2019 or something late okay. 2019. And, uh, you know, 
he before that he had became more distant and didn't seem like he wanted to you know, we try to call him up and he wouldn't answer his phone or we would have a lot of trouble getting a hold of him. And, and that was in 2017. When we the whole year, you just yeah, it was just him over. Kind of like, you know, we could rarely see him. And, you know, oh, I take that. He lived with us through 20, 2016. Mm-hmm. The end of 2016, mm-hmm. he was really, really sick. Yeah. And he lost, he had to put his job on hold. The apartment he's living with told the guy he's gonna live he's gonna be with us. He got he was so sick and I just okay. watched my son pass away from my eyes. And um so I begged him to go to the, to the hospital and finally we got him to the hospital after living with us a month and I was literally watching him take his last breath. So we got him to the hospital, he had several pints of blood. And um, so he lit, he got was in there what ten days? Yeah, I was in there a while. Yeah, so he's in the hospital ten days, yeah. and it we kept him until his was it thirtieth birthday? Two thousand seventeen. Yeah, it was probably close to his birthday when he when he finally let God. Yeah, he's so he made it into November, and he stayed until April. He was really yeah. weak. So we, what was uh, what was he suffering from? What did the hospital have to say about this? Well, the the he had a really really bad lung problem going on. I mean, there were there was multiple things I think going on, but like they called one of them histoplasmosis or something like that, and it was a uh, you know he blamed he lived with a guy that had a, a cat that he hated, and he oh. said there you know that and there was. Uh, there was a, a lot of black mold and things going on inside oh. that uh, apartment and things like that. And he got really, really sick. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he never had a, a really immune robust immune system anyway. So, uh, you know, he was kind of prone to, to some things like that. But anyway, he, he was just it took him a while to figure out. Well, I think it's it's not something that's very, you know, really, really common. So it took him quite a while to figure out what was wrong with him. And then they started putting him on some really, really heavy duty antibiotics and they, that caused some issues, you know, other issues because he was taking you now intravenous and then plus other types of antibiotics. And he was just, he was really, really sick for a while. And, you know, it, so when, when he was in there, he's saying like, this is about 2017 and he said he had been hearing these voices for years. This is not something that maybe anybody at the hospital being that they're, monitoring him every day there like you said at least 10 days something that never came up during that time well now um i kind of have a problem keeping things in chronological order i you know i I don't think it was till after that you know after you know he had gotten better and was out on his own and then when it became i think finally at some point uh well he started uh, sending us very bizarre text messages. That was the end of two thousand nineteen. In, in the end of two thousand nineteen, he started sending very bizarre text messages, and you know, and uh, just very peculiar behavior. Then we would notice things on his Facebook that, you know, he posted at one point, posted like a three hour rant, and it was just you know crazy talking off the wall stuff, and okay. we were like, what's that was going on, you know. That was in 2017, 2018. Yeah. So, and, and, and at th- that point, you know, uh, 
I did uh, get get a chance to talk to him at one point and said, and then he he finally said, you know, I'm hearing these voices, and he said, it's your voice that I'm hearing. Wow, and, your uh, voice, Daryl, your voice. Yeah, that's what he he wow. said. He said there sometimes they were other voices, but he said predominantly it was my voice that he would hear. And uh, you know, uh, and I I asked him. I said, well, you know, how long has this been going on? He said, well, he said. Then that's when he told me that he had been hearing voices for you know a long time. He said maybe as I, I can't remember if he if he said something like as far back as I can remember, or you know it was it was a long period of time. Okay, but, so going uh, back, so once again going back to when he was in the hospital for that time, it seems he had started hearing voice in his head, hearing your voice, Daryl, well before he went to the hospital. And once again, this is not something that ever came up, even though he was being examined for all those days that they, you know, he, he, I guess what I'm saying is he seemed to be able to keep this really uh, hidden from people. Right. Well, I, I think he was uh, for sure hearing voices, but I'm not sure if they, if it just morphed into being my voice later or what. That's what he said. Yeah. Because he never really mentioned it being my voice until later, you know, like toward the end of 2019. And, uh, you no, know, that was in the podcast. That was not a podcast, but the, to yeah. rant yeah. well that was that was in 2019 as well wasn't no it? Was... i just got to telling you it was in the 2017 early 2008 okay well okay. i guess maybe maybe he he did he just didn't tell me that they were it was my voice that he was hearing at that time but uh yeah he was uh uh i kind of lost my train of thought. that's Sorry all right that. we can oh that's that's fine i just want to establish it's very interesting to me and probably interesting to the listeners that you say had been suffering from this for years I'm perfectly believe that, but even under a doctor's care, even in the hospital, even where he's being seen day after day after day, it doesn't seem like anybody there noticed this or he kept it under wraps or he knew not to talk about I mean, it or something. We did. We couldn't find out his medical history. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, they, that, they will not tell us nothing, but he hung any signs up all in the hospital room keep out or uh, oh. I mean just he did yes he did oh I didn't know that there was right. signs in there when we come in there and he don't pay attention but there was signs <laughs> when you walked in you know keep out just weird signs and that didn't dawn on me you know that he just didn't want certain people in there mm -hmm. I mean it was there's doctors he didn't want him them to come and see him I mean he just wasn't to me, I started blaming his being sick. Yeah. You know, but it didn't dawn on me. Matter of fact, it didn't dawn on me until just now, but he did have signs in his hanging up in his front of his door. Okay. Let's move on to this. All right. So we got some mental health issues. We're going to uh, talk about that a little later. So, and also, though, it seems at least maybe closer to his disappearance that he had been. Uh, doing other drugs other than marijuana he'd gotten into you know drugs that we might say are much more dangerous uh don't need to jump too deep into this but just to understand when did you become aware of this was this before or after his disappearance uh you know how did that all come out well before his disappearance definitely i mean me and him had had conversations about drugs because i knew that he did marijuana and and i had talked to him and, and then you know I think a, a couple of times I was, you know, concerned because he had said something about doing LSD and I told him, man, that's really bad for you. You shouldn't do that, you know, and, 
he's like, well, no, dad. And he said, the, you know, there's, there's drugs that are okay to use. And then there's bad drugs. And, you know, that's when he explained to me that, you know, uh, you know, it, doing drugs like marijuana, you know, it actually could have medicinal purposes. And, and, you know, he, he talked about doing LSD a few times and, and uh, kind of more exotic things. Like he talked about making some, using some kind of drug that was, that they extracted from morning glory seeds. I don't know what that is. Okay. And then some peyote and stuff like that. But, he told me, he said, now, he said, there, there are certain drugs, he said, I will never do. He said, I would never do meth and I will never do heroin. He said, those are, you know, he said, those are really, really bad drugs. And he said, you'd have to be stupid to do those drugs. You know, and that's, that's what he told me. Okay. And so I never thought he was, you know, I, I knew, like I said, he was doing the marijuana, which I didn't, didn't condone, didn't approve of and, uh, you know, and, and other drugs too. So. You know, I said we raised him in, in a, uh, essentially an alcohol-free home, drug-free home. You know, we didn't do that stuff. Uh, you know, I, I think I've only – I tried marijuana like twice when I was in high school and never saw any kind of benefit for it. So I I, I just never – something I never did. But, uh, you know, it, so it was kind of a, a shock to us to, to learn that he had – you know, when we get the phone call that he's – in jail and for possession of methamphetamines and uh, um, meth. And, you know, it was because, you know, he had told us, Hey, I would never do that because that. When did that happen? If you get that, that, that phone call that's on your mind right at the second, when was that phone call approximately? September, mid September, probably 2019. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cause we were, we were in, in, in uh, Chicago. Chicago for pretty much the whole month of September and it was about halfway through our stay. In, no, in we was we was up there. He called right in the middle. Of, I was in the middle of September. We was in there until the middle of October. Okay, wow. so it was earlier in our stay. But yeah, we were in we were in Chicago for a, a good uh, a Smoke. while there. Uh, you know, getting her some medical treatment. And uh, but yeah, it uh, it was a shock to us. And then we were getting also got phone calls from family. Mm -hmm. that you know he was acting bizarre and uh I, at one point my sister-in-law sent me a a uh, text message and said hey did you see this and she had put up a uh a fa uh, not facebook craigslist post that he had put my picture on craigslist and said has anyone seen this man roaming around fayetteville uh, fayetteville uh, somewhere near the, the university campus and possibly has like a black box that uh, resembles a boom box. And, you know, and uh, he was, you know, okay. and, and that that's when he started coming out with the whole thing about the voice to skull thing. Uh, you know, I guess that apparently there are people who, and there you can go, you can Google it and look it up. There's web people who think that they're, the government they're being targeted by the government yeah. and the government is using this voice to skull b2k technology yeah. to beam frequencies into their head and they can make voices and things and, and he became convinced that uh, he was a victim of this being targeted by the government so and he had a golden ear yeah something called a golden ear i'd never heard of that before um, me neither I, I guess maybe the listeners can look that up all right so uh, he says that he'd never get into marathon heroin, but then you find out you get this call. That's exactly what he got into. 
just to, yeah. to sum this up. Okay. So this is why um, we have to move on to this. So he did end up because of this, having troubles with the law and uh, you know, not terribly long before he went missing. And in, in fact, they actually put a wrist monitor on him. Was it because of this particular circumstance that you're talking about or was it something else? Yeah, it was because of the, the um, methamphetamine possession that he had. But, uh, okay. you know, uh, he had also, I guess, I don't know if you wanted to get into that this time, but, you know, he had made some death threats, but that really had nothing to do with, you know, the the uh, the, the being incarcerated with wrist monitor situation. Okay. I mean, it was he was he was incarcerated. And then uh, due to COVID, they released, you know, the vast majority of their inmates, you know, only the most nonviolent. I mean, my, most violent people were kept in jail. And so yeah. uh, they gave everybody a wrist monitor and a cell phone and, you know, said, here you go and turn them loose. And uh, yeah. which, in you know, especially in hindsight, it would have been better for Brandon if he would have stayed in jail, you know, and, and possibly could have gotten some treatment or something. But yeah. Okay. But he had this wrist monitor. This was part of his being let out during COVID. We have to remember this disappearance happened in 2020. So this is part of the thing, him being let out. He was given this wrist monitor. Yes, sir. Okay. And, but he cut it off. Yeah. <laughs> at, at some point, I mean, he would, uh, I, I think in the beginning he was being compliant with, you know, taking, they, they would, I guess they would, I think the way it worked is they would send him, a random text message and say, Hey, send us a photo of where you're at and, and hold up your wrist so we can see the wrist monitor. And mm -hmm. that way they could kind of check up on him and see where he was at and things. And, uh, uh, in the beginning he was, you know, compliant with them. And then later on, you know, he would send me text messages or call me and say, dad, you know, something's wrong with this phone. It's not letting me call, you know? And I said, well, you're calling me. And he said, well, but I can't get through to their number. And it's supposed to be a number that I can get to anytime. And can you send them a, a, a message and tell them that I'm having trouble with this phone and it's not working and tell them that, you know, I'm trying to check in. And I, so I said, well, I'll tell them, but I don't know if that's going to help you or not. So right. you know, I, I did that a couple of times for him. And, you know, I'd like to say, I don't know how they how they respond to things like that if that's acceptable to them or not i really wouldn't think it would be but uh anyway uh, he was he was having a lot of problems with uh, the wrist monitor uh and i don't know if it was maybe it's i don't know if it was because of his paranoia and he thought maybe it was something that was being used to help the voices you know to mm -hmm, be able yeah. to track him and which it definitely sure. was tracking Sure. But uh, uh, at some point, I guess he thought it was a good idea to cut it off. And the very last photo they have on that phone before, you know, he lost it or it, it came up missing or whatever happened to it, it was a, a picture of him holding up the wrist monitor that was cut off. And he took a picture of himself holding it off, holding it up while it was cut off. So when did that happen? Approximately uh, in 2020, approximately when? Yeah, um, I'm going to say it would have been early on in 2020. Uh, it would be at end of May. Yeah, probably. Because you come up missing in June. Yeah. And it, well, would, would it be? Maybe late April, early May, something like that. Well, let me think back because he come, he come back to Fayetteville 
around his birthday. He called his dad up and said, come and get me. He, did he still have the monitor on there? Because I think he should, already cut it off. I'm not sure. I don't I don't recall okay. whether he had the monitor. When's it, when is uh, Brandon's birthday? What's his birthday? April the 7th. All right. Okay. So let's just say, let's just say maybe being that the accepted disappearance date is June 24th of 2020, it's very possible that he had cut that uh, monitor off his wrist maybe two months before he went missing. That's a, that's a, maybe a good yeah. guess. Okay. Do you think because of that, of course, we know uh, criminals are, you know, felons who are supposed to be in jail and are let out. They're not supposed to do that. Do you think that the police were looking for him? What is your understanding of the consequences yeah, of him taking that monitor off? And we did talk to the, talk to the people who managed that, uh, the program that, that was responsible for taking care of the wrist monitors and things like that. And, uh, and they called us, I think, uh, once or twice and asked if we knew where he was at. And we told them no. And they listed him as absconded. You know, and then I think that eventually led to a, but it, I don't think it happened until later, but eventually it led to a warrant being put out for his arrest. We had a court date. And, uh, you know, because, and plus he missed a court date. And so, you know, they were, they were looking for him. So Okay. All right. So he has this, he's already in trouble with the law. He gets out, they let him out due to COVID. He has this wrist monitor. He cuts it off, let's just say, approximately in April of 2020. Where was, uh, what was he doing as far as a living situation uh, at that time in those few months before? Yeah, it, it, at that point, uh, I think it had became increasingly difficult for him to hold down a job. And as a consequence, he didn't have money to be able to afford rent. So he very soon found himself homeless. And, uh, a few months prior to that, back in February, February the 14th, to be exact, he did put a death threat out against me online. And then later he becomes homeless. And, uh, you know, we we were very hesitant to, you know, because we knew he was having these mental issues and things. And, and we were hesitant to have him move back in our home with of us. Course. And, and he did. He did ask a couple of times, but typically when he would come to our house to stay the night, you know, even when, when we were on better terms or he wasn't, you know, in his we paranoid state, he would, uh, he would, he would, he uh, would only stay for maybe a day, maybe two, because he wanted to be around a bigger city because he, he loved his freedom and he wanted to be uh, where there was public transportation was readily available. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. Because he didn't, he didn't really drive. But let's talk. Now let's please go ahead, Shelly, please. The only thing of it is we, we weren't even involved in his life at that time. Um, I mean, from, for several, a uh, couple of years, I mean, he wouldn't let us in. Uh, every time we called him, he would not answer his phone. Oh, I'm sleeping. You know, and at that time, he made the death threat in February. Yeah, we weren't even, we wasn't even talk. You know, we would talk to him on the phone. But he'd call us. Yeah, but he wasn't calling us. Yeah, he, he was making his death threats. He he kind of became distant there for the last year or two. You know, so and I think it was because of drugs because he didn't want us to didn't want us to know that he was on drugs. Right. 
Right. Um, let's let's talk about those death threats a little um, more, uh, a little deeper, Daryl. That one you talked about, February fourteenth, twenty twenty. Is that was was that the first one? That was we, the first one that we were made aware of, and we, the way we found out is we, my daughter was over and visiting, had our grandkids over, and it was, it was dark. I think at the time that it was getting later in the evening. Don't recall the exact time, but all of a sudden we have Washington County Sheriff's Department pull up and. They get out and we're like, what are they doing here? You know, and then uh, they, you know, came up and said, well, we're here to do a welfare check. And we're like, okay, whose welfare are you checking on? And they said, well, we've been made aware that, uh, do you know a Brandon Barron? I said, yeah. And something happened to Brandon. They said, no, he's apparently been posting or been communicating threats online. I think he didn't really post them. I think it was some things that he had said in Messenger to some friends of his and they became concerned you know because he had this plot to kill me because you know i was torturing him with the voices and and then he started you know later he told us that uh, you know that uh, and some of this was on that rant that he had put on facebook that uh i was working with government and uh hollywood actors the judicial system i you know we were all in cahoots and they were they were either working for me or i was working for them i'm not sure which but you know it was all a big plot to to get him and he had this thing called a golden ear and they were utilizing this v2k voice to skull technology and uh you know he was he was being tormented and and uh so that that's what the death, death threat stemmed from Okay. How many, how, how often did this happen between February 14th and the time of his disappearance? Was this a common occurrence that he was posting things online or not, not to our knowledge. I mean, he could have been doing it more than that. And we just didn't know, but we're only, we were only made aware of two times the, the February and then the day of his disappearance, he made another death threat. So, okay. So, so several months. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, one, two, three, f- like four months between that one in February 14th and then the one on the day of his disappearance. So that's over four months. So not common, still horrible. I, I-, I can't imagine Daryl being, you know, and of course you shall, I just can't imagine being in a situation where you, you, you have a, you know, your son who's, you know, saying something like this. I mean, it's horrible, but it, <laughs> it was these two times, February 14th and then June 24th of 2020. Right. And but in between those times, there were a lot of bizarre text messages, maybe not, you know, death threats, but, you know, just strange things and, you know, and uh, maybe veiled threats. You know, uh, you know, if, if I find out that you are involved in this, I, you know, I swear to God, I'll, you know, you know, I, it's not going to be good for you or, you know, stuff like that, you know, and uh, he would think that, you know, all the, all the voices he was hearing was, you know, something that I was doing. So. Okay. Now he wasn't living with you. So being that the, you know, this threat happened and he's saying all these bizarre things and everything, did you ever get an idea? Was there any, um, I don't know if I, you know, I have it in the outline, like vandalism or anything, but you weren't living with him. Did you ever get any feelings that Brandon was showing up at your house when you weren't around anything yeah. like that, like stalking both of you, given once again, that he said that he had these voices in your head hearing you eventually, Daryl, 
anything like that that you, he might have been following you two around, given that he had this kind of you know this kind of thinking. He was in Fort Smith. Yeah, I mean, he was he was in Fort Smith for a while during that, but he he never, as far as we know, never came out and did any sort of vandalism or threatened really to do vandalism. Now there was at one point uh, he talked to a friend of his and he wanted her to drive him see that that was a, a lot of the the problem was there's a like a 20 mile distance and brandon doesn't drive so you know transportation to be able to get out to do anything like that to us or wasn't readily available to him but uh, he did talk to a friend of his to ask her if she would bring him out here and park down at the end of our driveway and he wanted to come to our house and steal my cell phone Wow. Uh, I'm guessing she didn't go along with that. No, no. she didn't go along okay. with it. When, when, when was that? How soon, close to his, his disappearance was it? Can you remember? It was, uh, you know when it was? I'm thinking, was it early 2020 or late 2019? Okay. It was All 2020. Right. Wife thinks it was in 2020, but it had been 2020. Okay. What would I uh, have to? Of course, you have two other children. What were they saying about? I, I'm not here. I, I'm not here to. You, I'm not. I want you to put words in their mouths or anything. But just in general, what were your two other children? You know, saying about all this. Well, uh, Michael. Of course, he lives in Southern Arkansas, um, so they really didn't didn't see each other a lot, mostly on holidays and things. So. He was kind of insulated from the whole situation and really didn't have much interaction with his brother. They were, you know, once they got, they were close when they were living at home, but once they got out on their own, they kind of went their own ways. And Brandon had his life and Michael had his life. And, yeah, they would, you know, catch up on holidays and things, but they didn't really interact a lot. So I don't think Brandon knew a lot about it. I mean, Michael knew a lot about it, but uh, now his sister, Ashton, uh, the youngest, she, for, for a while, Brandon, when he was, uh, during that, when, what, when did she live? Brandon lived with her for a little while. I'm not sure. Was it, okay. uh, it was, it was probably the end of April of 2020 to wow. middle of May. Okay. Yeah. So this yeah, is around so the time that he would have this, uh, monitor cut off maybe around that time that he's living at his sister's. Yeah, he's staying there for a while, you know, trying to get back on his feet. And then, uh, you know, we, of course, by that point, we know that he's got methamphetamine problem. His uh, sister alerts us that, you know, she's very concerned about him and she doesn't feel safe having him in, in, in her home. And so she has three children, small children, and he's acting bizarre and, uh, and, you know, he's uh, he actually she discovered needles in her toilet, oh like hypodermic needles in her toilet. So she yes, knew he yeah. was doing some kind of drug. And, I, and, you know, I'm kind of ignorant on stuff like that. I just thought meth was something you smoked in a pipe or something. I didn't know you could shoot it up or I don't know. It could have been some other kind of drug he was shooting up, but he was shooting up something, apparently. Yeah. Um, then she asked him to leave. She asked him to leave. Uh, at that point, we were kind of heavily involved in trying to get him someplace where he could be safe and not be homeless. 
because he had been couch surfing a lot and it was kind of the same story from all of his friends. Throw part. Uh, that was after that? That was before. This was when Ashton let him, she took him to a motel. Well, I, I understand that, but before that he was couch surfing and stuff and but anyway, he 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 was he had kind of burned his bridges with his friends because he would come in and they would see the bizarre behavior and and so they you know a lot of them said the same thing you know he came stage for a couple of days and we ended up saying Brandon you got to go you can't stay and they still you know no matter what they still you know loved him and yeah you know, they, he, he, they were he, they still they still counted him as a friend but they just couldn't no, have that no, of course in their home so but he. Uh, he uh, we were trying to help him and uh, it's about that time that the stimulus uh, came out you know and i think everybody was getting fourteen hundred dollars or something like that and you know i i didn't feel comfortable having him live with us but i was giving him a little bit of money here and there and, and predominantly when i say giving him money it was more buying things for him you know and i and he'd say, well, I'm going to pay you back. And I said, well, we'll talk about that later or whatever. And, and uh, I, you know, I paid to put him up in a hotel room for uh, like a week at one point and, and paid for some other stuff, for cell phone for him and, you know, just miscellaneous things that he needed. But uh, I told Shelly, I said, you know, when he gets the stimulus money back, if we see he's doing good with the money and doing, you know, things he should be doing to help his situation, I'm not even going to. I'm going to tell him he doesn't have to repay me or anything, you know, because he'd say, I'll pay you back when I get this name. And I, well, don't worry about it. But anyway, uh, he finally uh, got the stimulus back. It was kind of a, 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 quite a process doing that because I had to get him a birth certificate and I had to drive him around to try to get, because the stimulus money had been deposited on an Emerald card and he threw the card away after he spent his tax refund. But then, you know, they, they put it back. That's where the, the, the stimulus ended up going. But the, it, he initially got the card because of a tax refund. So to make a long story short, we, we finally get the stimulus. He gets access to those funds. He gets his card back. And immediately upon getting that, he tells his sister, OK, I want you to drive me to Fayetteville and I want to go find some drugs mm-hmm. and I want to go to a go rent a hotel and he said, I want to find a hookup and I want to do drugs and have sex and and party. Mm-hmm. So needless to say, I wasn't very pleased with his choices of how he was spending his stimulus money. Uh, so, you know, after a few days of him do, being out doing whatever he was doing, I, you know, sent him a message and I said, Hey, Brandon, uh, glad to, here you got your stimulus money back that's awesome i said uh, do you think you'd be able to pay me back the the money you owe me he became very uh, angry and said you know i'm not able to pay you the money back you know I, you keep having people steal my id and my wallet and i don't have any of my, i don't know if he would if he was you know doing drugs and passing out with these people that he was hooking up with and they were stealing stuff or he was just losing it or whatever, but you know, used it, all. It, it, it wasn't good. He, you know, it didn't, didn't set well with him. And, uh, then I think, uh, this is kind of maybe, I know you don't like speculation, but it seemed like every time he would have an encounter with the police, mm-hmm. he would think 
he thought he would think that I would have something to do with it. Like I had, yeah. you know, sent them to do things to him or, you know, I'm not, so, I'm not surprised given how you've portrayed, you know, him hearing these voices and eventually came your voice and he wanted to go over to your house and get your phone and, you know, saw the, the wrist monitors maybe being, you know, being tracked. Of course he was being tracked, but tracked more like in a conspiratorial sense. Exactly. Uh, I can't say that surprises me at all, Daryl, that, that he would think that. I guess he went to a town in Rogers and I we got a thing in the mail saying that they had his wallet. The police department had his wallet. And so I sent him a te I sent him a text message and showed him the letter because that's the way we up we got all this mail. All of his mail. And so he would tell us to open it up, take a picture of it, and he'd comment later on it and say we wondered. We'd send it to him in Facebook Messenger and then he would say Oh yeah, that's nothing. Throw it away, or he'd say, "Oh yeah, I need that. Save it. Don't you know? I'll bring it to me the next time you see me, or something." You know. Okay. So he, he went off on me and told me to keep his name out of my uh, his name out of my mouth, and to um, if I want to talk to, I'll be talking to his lawyer because he's going to take me to court because so, I sent a letter to him. Okay. All right, so nothing's got nothing really is going very well there in 2020 at all. Okay, um, where was Brandon living in the days before his dis so just some very pointed questions here before we move into that day? Where was Brandon living in those few days before he went missing, as best as you can tell? Uh, for the most part, he was homeless. You know, he was he was essentially staying in the wood a wooded area behind. A Walmart in Fayetteville, was, from what we understand, that uh, yeah, that's he was homeless. Okay, uh, would you say we? Of course, we know that there was the the death threat on February fourteenth, and then the one on the day of his disappearance, June twenty fourth. But would you say either of you were living in fear of him? I mean, given all of this, of course, you just talked about he's going to see you and everything. But were you ever afraid, for example, that he was going to show up at your house that followed through with anything like that? Not until that day. Well, you you had expressed to me that you didn't feel comfortable with him living with us, you know. So I think there was some definitely some apprehension on Shelly's part because I was in she she was you know she's disabled and uh, doesn't get around all that well and and uh, she I work third shift so she's home alone at night a lot of times and she was just worried that you know he might try to come out and do something and I think at that time. Or shortly after that, we is when we had we had some security cameras installed because we didn't have anything okay. like that. And she, you know, I had it on my phone, so if I was at work and I saw something happening or heard some alarms go off or something, yeah. then you know I could call somebody and they could get there, and uh, or you know I could take off or whatever. But yeah, she was definitely apprehensive, and I, you know, I didn't, and I, and understandably so, and I, you know, I tried to uh, be sensitive okay. to that, so. Uh, you know, I, I I never really thought that he would, you know, actually hurt me, but I don't know. You know, you never know. Never what tell. Never, never, never can tell. tell. Okay. And being due to this, uh, him cutting this monitor off, what was there a warrant out for his arrest at the time of his disappearance? I don't no. believe so. No. The, the wheels of justice grind slowly. So I think it was, you know, quite some time before they actually got around to processing that that to where there was actually a warrant put out for him. So. Okay. 
Let's move up to that day. Now, June 24th, 2020, we're going to start very early, early in the morning. And it starts, I guess, at this Walmart in Fayetteville. First of all, how did you find out about this story about Brandon being at this Walmart and something going on? Of course, you didn't find out about this till later, I guess. But how did you find out about it? Well, uh, I think it was shortly after Brandon's disappearance that we, we were made aware that uh, he had had an encounter with Walmart uh, at Walmart with the police, and it was in the the PM out. Well, it was, you know, I don't know if it was actually ever expressed that they had said it was, I don't know, like four or five PM or something. Like four or five, I think it was just relayed to us as like four or five o'clock, you know, something like that, something generic. And we and the way the detectives talked to us and told us and everything, we were led to believe that that encounter happened after we saw him out here. Okay, but it, but you don't think, but do you now think that happened before? Oh, we definitely did happen before. We, we okay. You know, All right. So when, so better. the way, let's just let's just say say it the way it actually happened in real life. So there was something that went on at this Walmart, and what exactly did go on? Well, from what we understand, uh, he was acting kind of bizarre. Or whatever, some people were concerned about his health, and uh, he was. Uh, uh, Threatening. He was contacted by police and they uh, brought out an ambulance for him and he refused medical treatment. So the ambulance ended up leaving and I guess they just let him go when he went back to his homeless encampment in the woods. But, uh, you but know, he's also sitting on there threatening his dad. Uh, was he doing that with the, at, the, yeah. at the Walmart? All right. I don't know if it's at Walmart or the help. We don't know where he was at, but at three o'clock in the morning. On Facebook, he said, I need to get get a gun to shoot my dad before he shoots me. Yeah, that was after the Walmart encounter. Okay. So that, then that's, you know, another thing where, you know, the police contacted him. He probably, uh, and again, this is a little bit of speculation, but he probably thought, well, my dad's did it again. You know, I've, mm -hmm. he's turned it or something. So, or had the police come and contact me. So. Yeah, he did put out another death threat at that time. So. All right, so we have February. This is the second one. We have February 14th, and then we have this one on June 24th of 2023 or 2020, which is, um, of course, the day, twenty June 24th, 2020, of his disappearance. Okay, so at this is the second one at 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so we have to now talk about this. Uh, so we have this issue. Um, he refuses an ambulance. He goes back to doing that. How far is this Walmart from your house? Uh, it's approximately 20 miles. 20 miles. Okay. What were your plans for that day of June 24th outside of uh, the stuff going on with Brandon? What were your two plans for that day of June 24th, 2020? Well, it was just a little bit convoluted, but I'll try to step through it. Um, Shelly at that time was going to a clinic in Fayetteville to, for treatment for CRPS. And, uh, she would stay most of the day, like four days a week. And so on that particular day, I was going to take her to the clinic and Shelly and I had talked it over and we decided it was, we were going to try to accomplish two things. As far as Brandon was concerned, we wanted to get a, a, uh, protection order against him, okay. uh, to, and, you know, we were going to set it up, structure it so that he could still contact us by phone, but he was not to show up at my work or he was not to show up at our home, you know. 
And so we were going to do that. And the other thing we were trying to get was a uh, involuntary commit order to get him some help, you know, wow. get, get, get him somewhere and try to get him some help. We were very concerned with him, of course. And yeah. did you have something to say? Yeah, because we kind of skipped a little part between going to our day at five o'clock that morning. We have another knock on the door from the police saying that Brandon wanted to kill his dad. Right. That's how, that's, you know, that's where that all came from. This protection order and everything else, because you found out about this. <laughs> I'm just worried about your physical, your physical trip. Where were you, where were you driving to and in, in, in for the day? Yeah. Sorry. We got sidetracked, but that's all yeah, right. So I, I was, I was going to take her to the clinic and then my plan was to go to the police station uh, or to wherever I wasn't even sure where I needed to go, but I figured the police station could point me in the right direction as to who I needed to talk to to get a protection order and then maybe an involuntary commit order. So those were my plans. I drove her to the clinic, and then when I arrived at the clinic, I realized I had left my cell phone at home, and I had and I had been told, you know, by someone that you can't just go up and for any random reason, get a protection order against somebody, you have to show that there's a, a, a justifiable reason to have a protection order. Well, I had evidence on my phone, you know, of the threats and the things that he would made and some of the bizarre emails and statements. And so I wanted to be able to show that to the police. So I thought I have to have my cell phone to do this. So I drove back home and upon arriving at home, I pull up in my yard, get out of the vehicle and, uh, walk up the, the 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 path there and just before i get to the house i noticed there's a wagon sitting there and initially i didn't I, you know what's this whose wagon is it i didn't really know per se that brandon had a wagon but i thought it was kind of bizarre so i walk over and i kind of start looking through some of the stuff in the wagon and i realized hey this is brandon's stuff you know i recognized some books that he had had and and I, I think there, I'm not sure there was some like audio equipment, maybe some headphones or something and a bunch of clothing and things like that. And I recognize I said, this is branded stuff. So, okay. Let me, I, let me jump in here for just a second. So okay. had it not been for you forgetting your phone, you would have, you would not have gone back home. You would have just done that police stuff and then gone back to pick Shelly up. Correct. Yes. All right. So it was a complete coincidence or circumstance, unusual set of circumstances yeah. here where you had to go back home to get your phone which of course we all understand and it's then there that uh you see this red wagon we'll get back to that in a second how long would you say you were gone between leaving your home in the, in that morning dropping shelly off to getting back to your house how long would you say you were gone uh before well leaving shelly and then getting back to the to town no, just going from your house dropping off Shelly to going back to home how long how long did that oh take? it was probably you know hour hour and 15 minutes okay all right so in that hour and 15 minutes seemingly Brandon showed up at your place with this wagon right okay very good so please continue so you see this wagon you don't necessarily and when we're saying wagon uh, we're saying like uh, like a beach wagon or something like that, or you know something people should be visualizing in their heads, a little red wagon or something maybe more twenty first century like like plastic with like like rubber wheels or something. It, it's more of a beach style wagon, and it was a, mm -hmm. a as I recall a, a a dark blue color kind of you know, and okay. it was a 
one of these, you know, fold up things. Now, when I say a beach wagon, of course, they make them for sand that have the big wheels on it. This didn't have the big wheels. It just had standard wheels on it. But just a, a, a wagon, something you'd use for a kind of a portable cart, you know. Okay. So you see that. Of course, it's, you know it's not yours. You know it's not Shelly's. And you go over it and you quickly discover that it is Brandon. What do you do when you, when you discover this? Of course, you already know at that point that he's made these threats against you and everything. I'm sure you became very apprehensive about, you know, he must be on the property somewhere. What'd you do? Kind of start looking around saying, okay, where's he at? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, you okay. know, I, I, I initially was just, well, I'm just going to go in and get my phone and leave. And then I thought, well, I don't really know. He could be inside my house you know, and, and if he, he already posted a thing asking for someone to furnish him a gun, say he did get the gun, you know, he could be in the house hiding with a gun. So, you know, I, I felt very uncomfortable about going in the house because I didn't want to be put in a situation where I had to hurt him or he was going to hurt me. So I said, well, I'm just going to go uh, call the police and let them come out and deal with this. So, course i didn't have my cell phone it was in my house so i ended up going to a neighbor's house that's you know a few hundred yards away and uh using their phone and calling the police and eventually i don't find it's maybe 30 40 minutes later the police show up <laughs> they you know uh looked the wagon over and i kind of explained to them what was going on and of course they had already responded out earlier that morning so they were aware of the death threats yeah and uh they uh, said they were going to clear the house for me. So they, you know, get their guns out and they go through my house and, you know, hollering and looking around and looking, you know, under stuff and in stuff. And they can't find hide or hair of Brandon. And then they go through my little outbuildings and, you know, looking all around the yard and everywhere and kind of a little bit in the wooded areas around the house. No one ever saw Brandon. So we don't know where he was, if he was hiding somewhere or, where but there was no branded to be found and eventually the police you know load up and leave and and then i you know go in the house get my cell phone and drive back to town and proceed about what i was doing you know right now that wagon was it like parked like right at your front door was it front of like the garage door it was on the side of the house where was it yeah i've got a deck that's off the front and it it wasn't up off it wasn't on the deck but it was out in the yard a little ways from the deck and you know, probably, you know, eight, seven, eight feet from the deck, you know, but it was from my, from my door where you actually enter my house. It was probably, you know, 20 feet or so. Okay. All right. So you get out of there, uh, you get your cell phone. Uh, did you end up, did you end up going to the police then uh, to file this? Yes. Did you do all, ended up doing all that stuff? Yeah, I got, I got all that stuff started and uh, I got notified that later that day that they had approved the protective order. And I guess the uh, involuntary commit order takes a little longer because I think it has to maybe go before a judge or somebody has to approve that. So I get the protective order and uh, or get notified that it's. Did we go by and pick up the paperwork before we came home? Or I can't. No, recall. I was in clinic, but the yeah. thing it was, I think it was the next day you got the protective order. Was it the next day? Because yeah, because we had to call the place again. Okay, well, maybe it was the next day. Like I said, things are foggy at that time. You're not trying to commit things to memory because you don't really realize it's going to be relevant to later. Yeah, of course. But uh, anyway, at, at some point, I, you know, 
after I get that business taken care of, I go back and pick up Shelly. And I think we had a few little errands to run. Don't recall what they were. And then ended up making our way back home. And I was kind of, we were kind of wondering if we were going to see Brandon on the road, you know, or, or somewhere on the way home. And uh, sure enough, we were about a mile from our home and we kind of round some little corners and we see Brandon walking and he's walking against traffic and uh, uh, on the opposite side of the road that we're traveling on. Anybody's walking toward our house. Walking toward and, it. Very important here. Walking toward your house on the opposite side of the road. OK, so he has his back to you as you're coming up behind him. That ends part one of the interviews I did with Daryl and Shelly Barron, parents of Brandon Barron. Now go to part two, where you will hear the end of that interview, along with my summation.